So we're starting a new series, kind of. Uh, we've been doing a, this series, Becoming the Bride, since uh, the beginning of the year, and we're really sticking with that theme. Um, but today we're starting the book of Romans, and so really it's Becoming the Bride, Becoming the Church that the Holy Spirit built through the disciples through the lens of the book of Romans. And so today we're going to start that. And uh, as we're going through the book of Romans, I want to encourage you, read through the book of Romans with us. Um, read it multiple times. You'll get, you'll get new things every time. Um, read, read through it. Maybe try to read through it sometime and read it start to finish in one sitting. It's a letter. That's how letters are usually read. Uh, so give that a try. Um, but we're, we're going to be studying the book of Romans. I'm not going to preach on every single verse out of every single chapter, um, but uh, anything that we don't cover in a sermon, uh, I'm going to try to get that. You know, we do these midweek devotionals online, um, and so I'm going to try to get all that stuff that we don't get on Sundays in on Wednesdays, so you have sort of bonus content. Um, but, but over the next uh, weeks, we'll get the whole book of Romans. And uh, the church in Romans started because of Pentecost. Uh, when Pentecost happened, there were all kinds of believers in the, in the city of Jerusalem because of Pentecost and, and the feast that they were having. And then all those believers went back to the towns they were from. One of those big towns, one of those big cities was Rome. It was, the, it was the, basically the capital of the entire world at that point. And um, so there were a lot of believers in Rome. And so they went back to Rome and started this church. None of the apostles had been there yet. Paul hadn't been there yet. They all wanted to go, but they just hadn't had the chance. But Paul felt a connection with them um, because they were still part of the church. They were still brothers and sisters in Christ. And it was a, it was a young church. Um, it was a church that was made up of all kinds of different people groups, Jews, non-Jews, uh, different cultures, different backgrounds, Greeks, Romans, um, and so Paul wanted to lay out some of the basics of Christianity, some of the basics of what church was, some of the basics of the Gospels, and help them to see how they fit into the church and how they fit in, into God's plan. And so when we start Romans chapter 1, pretty quickly, Paul jumps right into the gospel and explaining the gospel and laying the gospel out for them. And he starts at the very reason for needing the gospel, that sin separates you from God and we all have a sin problem. And so in Romans chapter 1, he starts building this case for the need of a Savior. And he continues to build that case up through, really, Romans 3.23, which is sort of a, a verse that a lot of Christians know. It's a, church, it's a verse we use in churches a lot that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's kind of how he wraps up his case. He talks about sin, 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 all kinds of different stuff, and then finishes it by saying, look, 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in verse 24, and he says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So, in chapter 1, he starts laying out the reason we need Jesus, and that is the problem of sin. So, in Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18, he says this, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They, knew that they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. He says, look, God has given you plenty of evidence that he exists. All you have to do is look out the window. You see the stars and the moon and the sun and the sky and the earth and the animals, everything that's been created And he says, there's your evidence. So he says, you have no excuse for not knowing God. In verse 21, he says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And it's interesting, when you stop worshiping God as God, and when, you start, and when you stop giving thanks to him and stop being grateful for all of the things that he has given to you, you begin to make up all kinds of foolish ideas about what God is like. You start superimposing what your idea of God should be onto what God is. And your mind becomes dark and confused when it comes to God. And that's the world that we live in. Everyone has their own idea of what God is like. People claiming to be Christians but having minds of darkness. People saying that they're Christians but confusion is what makes up most of their theology. What it looks like to follow God. That's the need to learn to become the bride of Christ. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you fully, truly, all out praised the Lord? Not sang a song or prayed, you know, Lord, I praise you for this food. But you really gave a sacrifice of praise. You really gave up a part of who you were, a part of your day to praise God just with everything that you had. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time you had a praise party and just gave everything in you to praise the Lord? Let me ask you, what better describes your heart lately? Praise Or confusion and darkness. Verse 22, it says, Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, 
They worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. See, when you don't worship God as God, when you don't give thanks, you will worship something else. Everybody, everybody in this world worships something. You will worship something else. If you don't worship God as God, you will find something to put your time, energy, and passion into worshiping. And that thing will become your God. And when you do that, sometimes God will let you walk away. When you stop worshiping God as God, when you, when you start giving your time, energy, passions to other things, sometimes God will let you go. That's the story of the prodigal son. The, the son saying, I want to be about me. I, he made himself the thing that he worshiped. And the father said, okay, Go. And so in Romans 1, starting at 24, it says, Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Their time and energy and passion was given over to created things rather than the creator of those things. So let me ask you, what gets more of your time, energy, passion, and finances? Created things or the creator? Go ahead. Think, think through your week this past week. All the things that you did, all the things that you had going on. What got more of your time and energy and passion? Created things or the creator? And he said that part of worshiping created things included worshiping themselves. So God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, and they began doing sexually immoral things. Verse 26 says, That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of the sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should not be done. Now, I want to pause for a minute there, and, and I want to talk about this for a minute or two, because I, I, I know this is a touchy subject today. It's a source of hurt for a lot of people. And it's a source of hurt for a lot of people, especially if they struggle in this area. And sometimes it's a source of hurt because the church has made it a source of hurt. So I, I want to 
give this its due. And I, I would just humbly ask that wherever you're at on the spectrum, when it comes to this kind of thing, hear me out. The Bible clearly states in these couple of verses that God sees homosexuality as sinful. There are other verses in Scripture that back this up as well. And I know you hear people say, well, that's not what, really it, what it really means. That's not what the Bible really says. But I went, through, I went through it word by word in the Greek this week, and that's what it means. It's talking about homosexuality and that it is something that doesn't match up with a Christian's life. That living a life of homosexuality is sin. And I know for some of you, that is an uncomfortable statement. And yes, in the past, the church in America has really focused in on these couple of verses in Romans 1 and have really maybe gone a little bit overboard with it. But understand that the Bible says that that is sin. But also understand that Paul talks about lots of things when it comes to sexuality that are outside God's plan for us that Paul talks about when he talks about sexual impurity. Right before he talks about the verses on homosexuality, he talks about sexual impurity, and in that, he covers that covers a lot of things. Things like sex outside of marriage. Things like pornography. Things like cheating on your spouse. Adultery. Lusting just in your heart after another person. That all of those things are, are wrapped up and said... This is outside of what God wants for you. It's sinful. And now, if everybody were just completely comfortable with everybody and everybody was just completely honest, and I said, you know, who here sometimes struggles with homosexuality? I'm absolutely certain that you would see some hands raised. But if I said, who here sometimes struggles with pornography? Who here sometimes struggles with lust in, in their heart? Who here maybe struggles with sex outside of marriage? Who here maybe struggled with sex outside of marriage before you were married to who you're married to now? If I asked all of those things and everybody was completely honest and raised their hand, I think you would see that there were a lot of hands that there are a lot of struggles with sexual purity, that there are a lot of struggles with sexual sin, a lot of people who need Jesus' help every day to live the life that he has called us to. And I would say this as well, that these are guidelines that God gives us as how we are to live if we're going to be his followers. Being Jesus' follower is hard. 
being Jesus follower is not easy. Being Jesus follower requires us sometimes to do and live a life that doesn't feel natural to us. It's not natural to follow God. That's why Jesus had to come. Because it's natural to do whatever feels right in our heart. And that's why Jesus came, because our hearts were messed up because of sin, and we need Jesus to help fix our heart. But it's not easy. And just because we feel something and we, we have everything in us saying, this is what you should do, doesn't mean that we act on it. Now, I don't have homosexual desires. It's just not who I am, not how I'm wired. I'm attracted to the opposite sex. But look, I do struggle if somebody that I consider attractive walks by me on the beach wearing a skimpy little bikini. It can be a struggle for me to lust in my heart for women that aren't my wife. It can be a struggle with pornography if I allow that to be a part of my life. Now, all of those things were born in me. All of those things are part of my natural desires, part of how I'm, what I'm drawn to. But part of me following Jesus is saying, you know what, I'm going to lay those things aside because Jesus is more important and I just have to trust the fact that God's got something better for me than those things. And that's just one of the biggest questions of the Christian faith and following Jesus is, will I follow God's plan for me? Will I trust that what God has is better, even if I don't fully understand it and even if I don't fully feel like I want to just do that? Will I trust and have faith that God's plan is better and so I'm going to put aside the things that he says I need to because that's how I get to be closer to God? Or will I exchange the truth of God for something else? Like Romans says, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so if you're struggling with any of the above today in the area of sexual purity. I just say to you that God's got something better. And if you have same-sex attraction, and if I or other Christians have ever made you feel somehow less loved or less valued, I apologize. That at least was not my intention. Um, but if you ever felt left less loved or less valued by a Christian, I apologize because that's not right either. But I did want to just take some time and talk about that because that it's a big part of the culture we live in and, and understanding that and, and is important. But Paul has a lot more to say to the church in Rome outside the topic of sexuality and maybe the reason we put so much emphasis on the sexuality is because we really don't want to look at all the other things that Paul says is 
messed up stuff in our heart that we need to deal with. So we're going to take a look at those things now. Verse 28, it says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy. We'll stop right there. We don't have to go a whole lot farther. Let's stop right there and talk about a couple things. He says, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness and sin, and he starts with greed, hate, and envy. Greed. Get as much as you can so you can have as much as you can. Envy. Wanting what other people have because you don't have it. Two sinful things but very socially acceptable. Two things that are the basic foundation of every advertisement you ever see. It's the basis for so much of what we do in America. Greed, get more so you can have more, and envy. Wanting what other people have because you don't have it. And so many of us live that way. It's our lifestyle. But if you've made greed and envy part of your lifestyle, you can't really say anything against somebody who's living a homosexual lifestyle. Because you're both living lifestyles that are sinful. If you're living either way and not repentant, not saying, like, I've got to change this, then you're both living in sin. And, and we go, oh, oh, this, this culture, this world that we live in, homosexuality is just becoming so socially acceptable that nobody thinks it's wrong. We've been living in a culture that it's been socially acceptable to be greedy and to, and to be okay with envy basically forever. You've missed so, I mean, if, you, if you're living that lifestyle, you've missed so much about what Jesus said about the rich. The rich who comparatively in this world that we live in, we're all it. We're all rich. Go down, go down to the Dominican Republic with the Haitian orphans. You'll find out how rich you are. He goes on. Murder, quarreling, deception, which is lying. Malicious behavior and gossip. You know, when it comes to the things that the church is known for, Gossip is right up there with Jesus. How many of you have heard something about someone in this church in the past week? Someone telling you something about someone, what they said or what they did. You don't know if it's the complete truth because you never sat down and actually talked to that person. How many 
People of you have heard something about from this church even this past week. And then how many of you told it to somebody else? You realize that gossip is in the same list of things of wickedness as, as quarreling and deception and greed and envy and sexual impurity. He goes on in, in verse 30. They are backstabbers. Anyone in the room have somebody close to them betray them? Haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. Pride. That's in the list of wickedness and sin. Some of the pride that I've heard coming from Christians. Some of the pride I've heard coming from Christians, especially in the past four or five months. It's frightening. Like, yeesh. And some of you, your pride will be your undoing. The Bible tells and promises pride goes before a fall. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I was thinking this past week, uh, above heart disease, above most other things that kill people, it's their pride. It's pride that tells a drunk driver, eh, I can get in the car, I can, I can drive. It's pride that says, well, yeah, I have four you know, arteries blocked, but I can eat a steak with extra butter. It's pride. It says that they invent new ways of sinning. And that's, I mean, that's the truth. Past what? How, many, how long has smartphones been around? As soon as we figured out how to have a smartphone, we had figured out how to have porn on a smartphone. We invent new ways of sinning. And they disobey their parents. Kids. But, look, it's not like you hit the magic age of 18 and you don't have to obey your parents anymore. You still have parents, then you can't be disobedient. It's not, it's a, it's a rule. But if you're living with your parents, that will help you live longer. The Bible says that, not me. Disobedience to your parents, it's in the same list of pride and envy and murder. Murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip, they invent new ways of sinning and disobey their parents. It's it's pretty important. Verse 31, it says, they refuse to understand. The question you have to ask yourself is, why don't they understand? 
could it be because they don't actually listen? Who haven't you been listening to lately? Probably because of your pride. I think so much of this, this race insanity in our country right now is because people won't sit down and listen to one another. And our pride is undoing us. Because we think, well, I'm right. Okay. And then we don't sit down, we don't listen to stories, we don't listen to other people. It says that they break their promises. Who have you broken a promise to lately? That's when God's called me out on different times. Because I'll, I'll tell my kids, like, yeah, I'll come do that with you. Just let me finish this. And then I get finished with that, and then I'm tired, and then I'm like, oh, we'll do it tomorrow. But then my kids have learned dad doesn't really do what dad's going to say he's going to do. It says that they're heartless, that they have no mercy. Who have you rushed to judgment on lately? Who have you forgotten about showing mercy to? It says, these people, they know God's justice requires that those who do these wicked things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage other people to do them too. Again, he's building this case in Romans of why we need Jesus so desperately. And he's doing a good job. So he says all of this in chapter 1, in verses 24 to 32. So God abandoned them to do whatever their shameful things in their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and instead indulged with sex with each other. The men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned for lust with each other. Men did shameful things with other men. As a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do what should never be done. Their lives became came full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. And they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And then he goes on in chapter 2, and he says this, You may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same things. And we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. 
Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? That any judging you do, any condemning, any looking down on others for anything, you had better be real careful. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1 to 2, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That is terrifying. Think about that for a second. With the measure that you use to judge others, you will be judged. That takes the whole, well, I'm right and they're wrong out of the conversation. If on the day of judgment, Jesus judges you with the same measure that you used to judge others, how does that go for you? If Jesus uses the measure of, yeah, I know they believe in me and are Christians, but, and uses the but that we so often use against other believers, how does that go for you? So he goes on in Romans chapter 2, it's starting at verse 4. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, instead live lives of wickedness, of that list that I just read. He says there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. That, that idea of Jew first, Gentile, it will come up a lot. We'll see that a lot as we go through Romans. Spoiler alert. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and then also for the Gentile. See what I mean? It's a lot. For God does not show favoritism. 
When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Again, I asked the question I asked a couple weeks ago, how has God changed your heart lately? He says, even Gentiles who don't have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it without having heard it. That we all are instinctively born with a sense of right and wrong. Now, it gets skewed sometimes, but we all pretty much know that stealing is bad when somebody steals something from us. It says, they demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts, for they for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim. The day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. That it's not just about the outward way we live. It's not just the pride sexual impurity, greed, envy, lack of mercy, the way we judge others that people see and the people know about that God is going to judge you for. It's all the pride and sexual impurity and greed and envy and lack of mercy and judge anim- judgmental attitudes that are in here that nobody knows that we have that God is going to judge us for. And on that day, it won't matter what you say. It won't matter how you've rationalized it, that it's okay. It won't matter how you understood it to be. Well, I thought that the Bible said it this way. God will judge you. And God is a God of love and mercy, but God is also a God of justice who does not show favoritism. God's anger, God's wrath is being built up for those who continue to live in the wickedness in that list of things that we talked about. And if you think the last six months of 2020 have been difficult, you ain't seen nothing yet. And if you continue, if if we continue in pride, in sin, in following the own desires of our hearts, you're building up the anger and the wrath of God. Church, this is a come to Jesus moment. If you don't turn and repent of these sins that we've been talking about this morning, it's not going to matter what you believe 
or the way that you think things should be, we're going to see more and more of what it looks like when God pulls his hand away and allows trouble and calamity. It's not about what's out here that people see. It's about what's in here that God is looking at right now. Romans 1 and 2 is about building a case as to why we need Jesus. And it's doing a good job. In this moment, your only hope is Jesus. And with as sinful and broken as your heart and my heart and soul is, as all of our hearts and souls are, verse 4 of chapter 2, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That even with all of those things going on, all that list of wickedness, all that list of sins that we all struggle with at different times, that God's still patient, that God is still tolerant, that God is still kind. Does it mean nothing to you? He's, he's that way because he, he wants you to turn from it. Will you turn from your sin today? Paul says in verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, This good news, it tells us how God makes us right in his sight. It's accomplished from start to finish by faith. Will you put your faith in Jesus? Will you put your faith in the fact that God has got something better for you? Even if it doesn't feel like you want to do it, even if it doesn't feel natural to you, will you put your faith in the fact that God has something better if you follow him? Or will you suppress the truth in your wickedness? Peter confronts a crowd in Acts chapter 3, and they recognize their sin and say, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that a time of refreshing may come from the Lord. Maybe, maybe
maybe today you need a time of refreshing. Let's pray.